Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. chapters 17 and 18. And this is going to be going into a bit more detail of what we saw last week when we covered Revelation 16, and that is the wrath of God upon his enemies. We'll open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get straight into chapter 17. And part, I don't know if we'll get through all of 18, but we'll, we'll give it a, a try. We'll probably cover half of chapter 18. Heavenly Father, we pause before you to give you thanks and praise, dear Lord. Uh, we just want to thank you so much, God, for this precious knowledge that it, it's just so wonderful, God, that we have this great privilege to understand the things that are going to take place in the future. And while the world is going about its business and is deceived, uh, you have seen to it, Father, that we have the scriptures, the word of truth, that is a, a lamp unto our path. We thank you so much for this, Father, and just pray that you'll continue to bless and deepen our understanding. We ask this, Lord, in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's get uh, straight into the text, and we'll begin with, let me just see here, we'll begin um, just going back to chapter 16, and you remember when we covered uh, chapter 16, that there was this critical verse in chapter 16, and it was in verse 17, and it said, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And I just want to take a moment to talk about this word vial because I didn't, I was, I was saying bowl last week and somebody brought that to my attention that I didn't actually explain what, uh, why I was saying bowl when the scripture says vial. I think vial is an unfortunate translation in the King James. Uh, the actual Greek word is phiale or phiale. And, and it's translated bowl, and that's kind of what a, what a fiele would look like. It's, it's a, a religious shallow bowl that is used in religious ceremonies. And so a better translation would be a bowl, and something that you can see that it's shallow, that as soon as you pour it, its contents empty out very quickly. And so these seven bowls, the wrath of God is poured out immediately as soon as the angels uh, pour their bowls. So let's get back to the, the text. <clears throat> and it says here then in chapter 16 and verse 17 that when he poured out, the, when the seventh angel poured his bowl into the air, there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne. And it said, it is done. It's done. So, so it's over now. It's all over. 
and now the kingdom of God is established. But then we come into chapter 17, and you'll see as we, we go into chapter 17, where this one of these angels that had the seven bowls says to John, come and see the judgment of the great whore. So what chapter 17 and 18 are doing is going into greater detail of something that has already happened. Babylon has already fallen, and now the angel is turning to John and say, I need you to understand this, and I need you to make this available to God's servants so that they can understand this particular judgment that happened already in the, uh, the pouring out of the, the bowls. So, but before we go to chapter 17, I just remember when we were in chapter 21, this verse in verse 9 of chapter 21, that there came unto me, and notice the language here, there came unto me one of the seven angels, and we had cross-referenced chapter 17 when we were in chapter 21, now we're in chapter 17, let's cross-reference back to chapter 21. There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me saying, come over here, and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. So, so John is now going to have this vision of this bride that is prepared to marry Christ. Now notice the language where he says, come over here and I will show you the bride, one of these angels that had the seven bowls. Now we come into chapter 17, and notice the similarity of the language. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven bowls, and talked with me, saying, Come over here, and I will show you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters. So that similarity in language, I think it's, it's, design, it's by design, it's not any accident, where this whore is a counterfeit. She's pretending to be Christ's bride, but John is seeing her for what she really is. And, and, and she, he's going to see, and by extension we are now able to see, the judgment that is going to come upon her. But for most of the world, uh, they believe that she is what she claims herself to be, the bride of Christ. But John and the servants of God, the, the rest of us serving God, know exactly who she is. She's this great whore, and this great judgment is now coming upon her. And, and this is nothing new. Look at the prophecy of Nahum. And, and, and we'll just read this through and just see how similar this is. Uh, because this whore is not new. She goes all the way back to Nimrod. And Nimrod and Semiramis. And, 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 and Babel. And the original Babylon. And she's been, co she's been coexisting with these rulers ever since. In fact, she helps them rule. So she's been mingling with them and coexisting with them. And, and God has had judgments against her. Listen to Nahum. Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. Deceit. They, the prey departs not. So deceit and oppression and exploitation. And there came out a great voice. Oh, sorry. Let me just go back to uh, Nahum. Nahum, sorry. Uh, full of uh, lies and robbery. The prey departs not because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot. So it's the same harlot even though we're going back in time now, because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts, that sells nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. This is what she does. This is what she has always done. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will discover your skirts upon your face, and I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. And I will cast abominable filth upon you and make you vile and will set you as a gazing stalk. So you can see very clearly the, or, or we can feel the emotion, the anger, the wrath that God has towards this whore. This is clearly an enemy of God, uh, despite her, her protestation uh, to the contrary. And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon you shall flee from you and say, Nineveh, is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Whence shall I seek comforters for you? So it's the, the same um, outcome of this whore of Nineveh, the Assyrians, is the same outcome we're going to see for the Babylonians. And there came, so com coming back to uh, chapter 17 then, to deal with this end time whore, 
And there came one of the seven angels with the seven bowls and talked with him and said, Come here, and I'll show you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. So now we see that, uh, and that's her, her craft, is to engage the kings of the earth. So in this end time, all of these rulers of the earth, she's a prostitute, she's a whore, and she's going to engage with them so that she can uh, gain wealth. So she's going to gain wealth by colluding with these kings of the earth. So the kings of the earth have committed, it says fornication, porneia would be a better translation, basically sexual immorality. And this is a real uh, key for us, that sexual immorality is idolatry, because it has a spiritual uh, representation. And the spiritual representation is that any church that does not rely upon God, but rather makes political unions with the leaders of this world, this represents sexual immorality because the church should be faithful to God and rely upon God. So the kings of the earth have committed uh, adultery, fornication, sexual immorality, and the inhabitants of the earth, remember we were reading earlier about those who dwell upon the earth, the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So these, um, basically what we're seeing here is this in the uh, air in St. Peter's. spiritual Centuries force of division were rolled away through different Pope empires, Francis different kingdoms that is just happy to During the make mass. collusions, make Such partnerships, a place uh, collaborate, negotiate with the leaders of the Christianity. In 1054, so it says they've been made drunk 34 world leaders with had the attended the mass, and delegates from 132 countries were present. So he carried me away said, in six the sovereigns had made the trip into the wilderness, including from Belgium. And I and saw Monica. a woman sit upon a scarlet One of the first greetings was for the president so of Italy, Georgie Napolitano. Uh, An Italian cardinal had been one of the strong favorites to succeed Benedict XVI before Pope Francis. But to see this woman that sits upon many waters, Grand Prince Philippe of Spain and his wife were among those the Pope greeted. Philippe was one of three princesses. The there were no so invitations sent out. All who wanted to now be there were, her, said the Vatican, warmly welcomed. A scarlet colored beast. So the way that she sits upon many waters is that she sits upon this beast. And it's this scarlet colored beast that gives her access to the many peoples. So he carries her, carried him away in the spirit into the wilderness and saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. And so we need to understand that these ten horns are on the seventh head. So it's seven heads because these are the empires, the, the world-ruling empires that have persecuted and consumed God's people, beginning with Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, coming all the way through to the end time. And this end time beast or head has ten horns. And we know that because of the prophecy in Daniel. Daniel said, and after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. So Daniel sees this fourth beast that, that precedes uh, the empire or the kingdom of God. And so this fourth beast, beast was dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. So just a, this dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So this final beast, which Daniel sees as the fourth beast, uh, Daniel begins at Babylon, and so he counts four. Uh, John begins at Assyria and counts seven, and we'll actually see that he counts eight. John counts eight beasts, um, Daniel counted four four that were really centered around Babylon, beginning with Nebuchadnezzar. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, decked with gold and precious stones, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. So she's rich. She, she's decked in purple, She's in, in scarlet color. She's decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. And she's, she's, she's just uh, full of wealth. And she's gotten this wealth through trading, through, through committing immorality with the leaders of this earth. So she'll do anything for wealth.
And so she has this uh, uh, great wealth, and uh, also with that wealth is abomination and blasphemy. So she's full of blasphemy and, and what John calls here the filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead uh, is written, upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. So there is this Babylonian mystery religion that is stamped upon her forehead. So the same way the saints have the seal of God upon their forehead and the worshippers of the devil have the mark of the beast upon their forehead, this woman has the mystery Babylonian religion upon her forehead. And so, you know, I think it's very clear if you study the Roman Catholic Church, it's very clear that it is rooted in the Babylonian mystery religion. And it is not at all related to the Hebrew text, the Hebrew God, the God of Israel. However, this woman, it would be, it would be very, um, how shall I say, it would be very narrow, it would be very limited for us if we were to say that the woman that John sees here is the Roman Catholic Church. Because John says that this woman sits upon a scarlet-colored beast having seven heads. So we have to go all the way back to Assyria and come all the way through all the seven empires to identify the woman. So if we say it's the Roman Catholic Church, well, the Roman Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. So we can't say that the Roman Catholic Church sits upon seven heads. So the understanding is the Roman Catholic Church certainly is to be identified as part of this mystery Babylonian religion and a, and a leader of it, especially in, in our end time since, since the uh, first century, uh, or I should say it's subsequent to the first century church. But this woman is the Babylonian religion. It's the Babylonian religion. And, and it, is, it goes all the way back to Semiramis, who was the wife of Nimrod. She's the one that introduced this false worship system. And it gave Nimrod power. So she's the one that colluded, Nimrod being the political power, she being the religious power. And all of these empires have benefited from bringing this Babylonian mystery religion into their politics. And so this woman is the Babylonian mystery religion. And John identifies it for her here, for us here, saying that upon her forehead, and so all through time, we will see, it's not just the Catholic Church where we will see these uh, telltale signs. It's, it's all of these false religions from, from Semiramis all the way through the seven empires that we will see these telltale signs of where the spiritual authority comes from. And it comes from this mystery religion, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. And here Jeremiah reinforces that saying uh, in Jeremiah 51 that Babylon has been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken. So same language, the earth gets drunk on this doctrine of the Babylonian mystery religion. So it is the mystery religion of Babylon that is this, this harlot. The, has made all the earth drink or drunk and the nations have drunken of her wine. Therefore, the nations are mad. So this is where the insanity of this world comes from. It, it, it comes from drinking this, this false doctrine, these, these false philosophies, this mystery religion. Uh, all the nations are mad. And certainly we are seeing that today. The, the, the nations are drunk. And, and uh, John is telling us, or Jeremiah is telling us here, that it is this Babylonian mystery religion, the religion of the devil, this counterfeit religion that is making the nations drunk and mad. Jeremiah continues, O you that dwell upon many waters. So again, um, the angel said to John, Come and I will show you the judgment of the whore. And John saw this woman sitting upon many waters. So yes, the Catholic Church definitely is a representation of this mystery religion. But we can't say that the Catholic Church is the whore. Because this whore sits upon many waters and sits upon the seven heads. 
So it is the Babylonian mystery religion. O you that dwell upon many waters, abundant in treasure. She's, she's rich, always rich. It's always about money. Your end has come and the measure of your covetousness. And so, as I said, this goes all the way back to Genesis. And you remember in Genesis that Nimrod was a mighty hunter against the Lord. He was the Lord's adversary. He was hunting souls and taking souls away from the Lord. Therefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter against the Lord, that word would be better translated against, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So the, the beginning of Babylon is with Nimrod and Iraq and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar, what we call Iraq today. And you can see the, even the alliteration Iraq. Uh, so all of that land is where Nimrod began this mystery religion. And the, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And then in Genesis 11, the whole earth was of one language and one speech. That is always the Babylonian agenda. From Genesis to Revelation, through the seven heads, the seven empires, it's always been about global control. And so we're seeing it very, very clearly today. You know, Revelation gives us symbolic language, but we have to now take that symbolic language and look at the news, look at what's happening in the world around us, and see that the symbols that are presented to us in Revelation are actually taking place in and around us. And so we see this push for globalization. It's not new. It goes all the way back to Nimrod. And so the whole earth was of one language and of one ideology. That is, what, whatever they spoke, they agreed with the, the same philosophy. And we see this push for everybody to, to conform to the same philosophy. Everybody has to have the same opinion. Everybody's being bullied into having the same ideology. And they said, go to or come on, let us build us a city and a tower. And this is what we have to understand. The city representing political control and the tower representing religious control. That, that it's the religious ideology that authorizes the political power. And so there's always this um, beast with a false prophet or beast with a prostitute, a harlot, that gives spiritual authority to the beast. And so the false prophet is getting everybody to worship the beast whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name lest we be scattered upon the face of the earth. So to understand the mentality of these beast powers, we need to understand two individuals. One is Nimrod and the Nimrod agenda. And then subsequent to that, we need to understand Nebuchadnezzar. And so studying Daniel and studying the behavior of Nebuchadnezzar and studying his objectives and his agenda, because he's the head of the four kingdoms that uh, Daniel saw, or that Nebuchadnezzar saw, and then Daniel saw as well with the four beasts. Uh, he's, he's the mind of this statue. And so all of the subsequent kingdoms, they really don't think for themselves. They have the thinking, the perspective, the ideology, the agenda, the perspective, the, the objective of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, which is the same religion, the same political quest as Nimrod. So the, once we understand this, their agenda becomes as plain as day. They're not so complicated, they're not so sophisticated, we can see straight through them. And so it's a city and a tower. It's always this woman riding the beast, this false prophet authorizing the political power. And so John says, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints. So, so there's an agenda to gain wealth, and there's an agenda to destroy God's people. And so again, it's the woman, and yes, we definitely have seen uh, the Catholic Church at work, and you think of the, the Inquisition, and all, all of the torture and, and uh, pursuit of God's people uh, by the Catholic Church, but we can go all the way back to Assyria, and go all through the seven heads, and there's this religious authorization to pursue and destroy God's people. And so he saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. And with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And now we're coming now into this end time period where the, the beast is given power over the saints. And this woman is the one who's, who's got the bloodthirst uh, for the saints. And so she's drunk with the blood of the saints 
and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And it's not, you know, it's not like he's admiring her to say she's some wonderful person. Really what, what he means by great admiration is more that it's awe. He, he's just in awe over this woman and uh, how, how effective she is and how powerful she is in terms of pursuing and destroying God's people. So he's, he's there in a state of awe. And then the angel is speaking to him. And the angel says to him, Why are you marveling? <clears throat> so the angel then speaks to him and says, Why are you marveling? I will tell you the mystery of the woman. So now the angel, this angel is going to talk to John and explain to him. So first of all, he's just recorded to us what he has seen. <clears throat> and that's his job, to tell us the things that he sees. And so he's told us what he sees. And now the angel, he see, the angel sees him in this state of wonder. And so the angel says to him, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. So we've got two parts here. We've got this woman and the beast is carrying her. So as much as she's authorizing the beast and giving legitimacy to the to giving ideology to le to give legitimacy to the beast's power, uh, the beast is also supporting her. And the beast is carrying her and parading her around. So they really are cooperating with each other. And now uh, the angel says to John, I'm going to explain to you the mystery of this woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. So now we get um, the angel's explanation to John of what it is he was witnessing, what it is that he saw. The beast that you saw was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And I think this verse really makes it clear to us that we cannot read the book of Revelation as if it's just one linear chronology. It's apocalyptic literature. It, it's visionary, it's symbols, and, and it, it's Hebrew literature. So it doesn't, the, the way the Western mind works today, the way we work, we, we work in very straight lines. Everything is very linear. The more linear something is, the more clear it is to us. But not so with this uh, book of Revelation. That it's not just, you know, this happens, then this happens. And we saw that last week when we looked at the seven trumpets, and then we looked at the seven bowl judgments. So there's the seven, the judgment of the seven trumpets, and then there was the judgment of the seven bowls. And we saw very clearly that it's not that the seven trumpets are blown and then we get to the seventh and the kingdom of God is declared and then all of a sudden after God begins to reign we still have the seven bowls and as we're as, as the angels are pouring out the seven bowls the the, the uh, beast is still ruling he still has his throne and so it became very clear to us as we lined it up that the, the trumpet blast the first trumpet blast announces the first judgment and then the bowl completes that judgment the first one was on the earth. Then the second trumpet is blown, and it's upon the sea. And then the angel comes along and pours out the bowl, and that completes the judgment upon the sea. And so even though it looks like it's linear, it's not. He's actually going back and reinforcing and giving more detail to what has gone before. And so at the end of the seven bowls now, it's done. And the kingdom of God is established. And now we're told that the beast shall arise out of the bottomless pit. But we always we already saw that when we were looking back at the fifth trumpet. I believe it was the fifth trumpet. And so the beast that you saw was, there's just more detail going back in time now, the beast that you saw was, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. So this is kind of like uh, a, a counterfeit of the Messiah. That God describes himself as him who was, and, and was not, and, and shall be forevermore. The difference is, this counterfeit is going to go into perdition. So in a sense, there's quote-unquote a resurrection from the dead, but it's a resurrection into perdition. So the beast that you saw was, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth, again, very key phrase, they that dwell on the earth, they, they're going to be subjected to the wrath of God, 
because they're established in the earth and they're, they're part of this beast system. They that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So there's this book of life that if you're not in that book of life, you cannot live. We have to be in that book of life. When they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And so this is why John counts eight beasts. Because there are seven heads, but the seventh head, that empire, dies and it's written off and then it comes back to life. So the seventh head is like two heads. So that's why John sees eight beasts, even though uh, Daniel just saw four. Because John is going back further in time, and then the last beast he actually splits into. Because of this uh, death and then return to life. And here, in, in when we were in chapter 13, he says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke as a dragon. So here's the religious authority. And, and you know, these symbols, um, there can be different symbols for the same thing. And so this, this, this whore is one symbol of the same spiritual authority for the political power. And so this false prophet, or this beast here, is another symbol of the same spiritual religious authority for the political authority. So this religious authority came up out of the earth, and it's a counterfeit. It looks like the Savior. He, it looks like the Messiah. He had two horns like a lamb, but the truth is, he spoke like a dragon. He's really a servant of the devil. The same way that the, the whore is trying to present herself as the bride of Christ, but she's really a harlot. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth, this is what the religious beast is doing, what the, the, the prostitute is doing, causes the earth and them which dwell therein, again that key phrase of those who dwell in the earth, to worship the first beast. This is the fornication. This is the porneia, the sexual immorality. She'll do anything for money and wealth. And so it's in her interest to collude with this powerful political leader and to have everybody worship him. And, and that's in her interest to do that. And so he supports her and she supports him. And this is this woman that is riding upon this scarlet uh, dragon whose deadly wound was healed. So this is the beast that died and somehow came back to life. And then in, in Exodus, uh, just going back to that um, book of life, the, the book of life is not something new that John is introducing. It goes all the way back to the Torah, where we see here that Moses says, Yet now, if you will not forgive, that is Israel's sin, and if not, blot me, I beg you, out of your book, which you have written. So Moses had such a love for Israel and wanted to preserve Israel that he was even pleading with God to the point where he was willing to, to die forever, to, to uh, come out of existence, if it, if it meant that Israel would lose their salvation. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. And so those that are not written in the book of life, they're blotted out of the book of life, then there's no eternal life. We are written in the book of life, and we must endure to the end. You know, there's one of the churches that God says, you know, lest I blot your name out of the book of life. So this is what really matters, is eternal life. This, this existence will be over in a flash. And so we have to conduct ourselves in such a way that we remain, and we don't have our names etched out of, we remain in the book of life. Here in Daniel, at that time, Michael will stand up, the great prince, which stands for your, the children of your people, that is Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. This is the tribulation. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. So God will finally act. Every one that shall be found written in the book. So it's just so beautiful how Revelation is so fully integrated with the rest of God's word. It would be impossible for any human being to sit down. You know, it's funny, uh, um, the Muslims will just say so, I think Muhammad actually began this, to say the Quran is a miracle. And no, nobody could create a verse, a surah like, the, uh, like what's in the Quran. 
I mean, what nonsense. It's so easy. It's so, so, it's so nonsensical, actually. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't connect to anything. It's just this obscure poetry. Whereas here when we read uh, Revelation, this is truly a miracle. This is truly a miracle. No man could sit down and write this book and have it so well integrated into the rest of the Word of God. And that's something that I'm trying to demonstrate here as we go through this study, how tightly integrated Revelation is with the rest of God's Word. Because it's the same voice. And God's people recognize the voice of their shepherd. And when an imposter comes along, they don't follow that imposter. They, they won't follow a, a, a devil. They're going to follow God. They're going to follow the true shepherd. And so we see this just beautiful, tight integration with God's word, all the way going back to the Torah and through all the prophets. And Jesus Christ himself, when we saw in Luke, when he was resurrected with the disciples, he showed them in the law and in the prophets, uh, in all the literature, all the scriptures, what was written of him and everything was according to the scriptures and so this book of life goes all the way back to the Torah and then um, John writes and here is the mind which has wisdom so so he's, he's gonna explain to John the mystery of the woman and of the beast that she sits upon that was and, and is not and, and shall rise from the bottomless pit. So now he's explaining to John. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains. And so that's important for us to understand. So he's explaining now, you know, what are these seven heads? They're seven mountains. On which the woman sits. So the seven mountains, and sometimes people think these are seven hills, but they're not. They're seven mountains. And a mountain represents an empire, represents government. So the seven heads are seven empires. They're seven governments going back again to Assyria, all the way coming up to the present time. There are seven world-ruling empires that consume God's people. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And this is also why I, I said earlier that yes, the, no doubt, the Catholic Church is part of this Babylonian mystery religion. But we would be wrong to say that she is the whore. Because the whore, the, the harlot, sits upon all seven mountains. So she goes all the way back. And, and beginning with the Assyrian Empire, this same woman sat on that empire through Egypt, through Babylon, all the way through. To our present time so this is wisdom to understand that the woman is sitting upon seven mountains because the seven heads of the beast that she sits on are in fact seven mountains and then he reinforces that to say and there are seven kings so this is now this is the wisdom five are fallen one is and the other is not yet come so he's explaining now what's going on here, that at the time of writing, John is saying there are seven mountains. These are kingdoms. And so there are seven kings. Five are fallen. So they're in the past. One is in the present. And so we know that John was writing under the uh, uh, jurisdiction and the... the uh, purview of the Roman Empire so one is and that yet there's another that has not yet come so another one is coming and this other one that that's coming he explains it's actually two more because it, it's it the seventh is actually the eighth. the eighth is of the seventh and we'll, we'll see that a bit later so the other is not yet come but when it comes or when he comes he must continue a short space so, you know, the devil comes down, he has, he's full of wrath, he knows he has a short time. It's going to be intense, but it's going to be short. And the beast that was, and is not, so this is wisdom now, he's explaining what's going on. There are, there are seven mountains, uh, and he's just explaining to John the mystery. So there's this woman sitting on a beast that has seven heads. He explains that the seven heads... Well, these are seven mountains. That is, there are seven kingdoms. And so there are seven kings. Five are fallen. 
So that's gone. That's over. That's in the past. One is, so John is in the time of the one that is, one is yet to come. And he says, the, the, so you saw this beast that was and is not. Uh, and so that one that, that comes back to life, even he is the eighth. So there's actually eight beasts or eight heads, but is of the seven. So it's not a different, the, the, so one is, one is yet to come, a different one is to come, but the eighth is really the seventh. It's not a new one. It's the same as the seventh. So there's, there's seven, but uh, the eighth is different. Or sorry, the eighth is the same as the seventh. So the seventh is different, but the eighth is the same as the seventh. And shall, that's the one that will go into perdition. Now the ten horns which you saw are ten kings. So there's seven mountains, that is seven kingdoms. Then there are ten horns as well. So I saw he saw ten horns on one of the heads. Well, these ten horns are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. So it's a short time, it's an intense time. Uh, the seventh head will actually have ten kings, and they'll, they'll get to rule with the beast for one hour. And so uh, Daniel saw this as well. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are, are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. So Daniel is giving us a bit more detail here that, that there's this powerful one that comes up later, and he's going to subdue uh, three of the kings. And he, this is the real leader now, he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And so John saw this, Daniel saw it, the other prophets see it as well. Uh, that's fine. But the saints of the Most High will be sealed and will be protected from the wrath of God. When God has finally reached the, his limit and unleashes the, 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 the wine press and, and his wrath, well, the saints will not have to face that. But the beast and those who receive the mark of the beast, they will have to face that wrath. But he shall wear out the saints of the Most High and to, think cha to change times and laws. So we're going to see this, changing times and laws, a new legal system, uh, changing times as well, that's obviously challenging the Sabbath and, and the Holy Days. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. So this three and a half year period is going to be an intense period. It's the tribulation, it's the rising of the beast, and it is when the saints will be overcome by the beast but this is how we gain victory over the devil, through our love of Jesus Christ. And so it appears like the beast is conquering and succeeding. But what is actually happening is the saints are on their way to glory. We're on our way to glory. And we are, we are gaining victory over the beast through our testimony and through the blood of the Lamb. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb. So it's clearly these are adversaries of, of God, and they will make war with the, the Lamb. And interesting language, the Lamb is the one who is redeeming mankind, but they are of the devil, and they are making war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, so he will crush them. And, and you know, Revelation is all about overcoming. It's all about overcoming. Uh, the, the beast will overcome the saints, but it's really the saints that are overcoming the beast, and then Christ will come and crush the beast and overcome the beast. And this is a book that's all about overcoming and enduring. And for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. This is the key. We are faithful. And that's why it's so important for Christ to ensure that we understand how the future will unfold. So that we are clear-minded. And we see what's happening and we understand not just what's happening, but what's going to happen, what's going to happen next. And he said unto me, now, so he's, the, the angel is explaining to John, he says, the waters which you saw, so John, so he's, he's just decoding everything for John. And so he says here, okay, let me explain this to you now. The waters which you saw, where the horse sits, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues so so this is the this is how we must understand the symbolism that this whore is able to influence 
peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And she does this with collaboration of the political beast. So the political beast is supporting her and she's supporting him with her, her influence. And the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, notice this now, the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, these shall hate the beast. Oh, sorry, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Like, whoa, this is amazing. So, you know, this is, this is like um, the fruit of hatred. So the whore and the beast and these ten kings hate God's people. They hate Jesus Christ. And so they're happy to collude with one another. But they actually are so full of hatred, they actually hate each other as well. And so even though they're using this whore, they actually hate her. And so John is uh, the, what the angel explains to John that these ten kings, they're going to hate the whore. They'll use her, but they'll hate her. And they shall make her desolate and naked. She thought she was clever. She thought she could work with these people. Uh, and it's actually her undoing. They're going to make her desolate and naked, and they shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. And I think this burn her with fire is very interesting. Again, the, this integration with the word of God. Uh, notice this in Leviticus 21, that the daughter of any priest, if she profane herself by playing the whore, she profanes her father, and she shall be burnt with fire. So this whore trying to pretend that she is uh, the, the, the uh, bride, she, she is the faithful wife of Christ. Uh, no, this, this God will not tolerate this. And so these ten kings are going to burn her with fire. And that's the appropriate punishment for this whore. Verse 17. For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree. So all ten of them will agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which you saw is that great city. So that's very, very interesting now that this woman is actually a great city. And so it's a, a very wealthy city. The woman which you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And so whether this is the Vatican or the actual original Babylonian city, but it's the same, it's the same Babylonian system. So this great wealthy city that, that he saw, that John is explaining that this woman is actually a city. So this religious system, this false Babylonian mystery religion, is actually a city. It's a great city, which reigns over the kings of the earth. So it uses its religious authority and, and its wealth to actually exert influence over the kings of the earth. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. So one angel is talking to him, which one of the ones that had the seven bowls. Now he sees another angel come down, and this one has great power, and the whole earth now was lightened with this angel's glory. And uh, Ezekiel says, Behold, the glory of the Lord of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like the noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. So again, a call back to how God's glory can fill the whole earth. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen. So finally, this, this Babylonian system is fallen. This false religion, this Babylonian mystery religion. Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, he says it twice, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So these are uh, symbols of, of de demons that uh, this city is the, had become the habitation of all of these unclean demons. Notice what Isaiah says, And behold, here comes a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. So this prophecy of Isaiah is now fulfilled in Revelation. Again, great 
uh, very tight integration with the other prophets. And all the graven images of our gods, he has broken down into the ground. So this again is the, the breaking of this mystery religion. And it's actually a great city. Isaiah continues, And thorns come up in her palaces, nettles and brambles in the fortresses thereof, and it shall be a habitation of dragons and a court for owls. Again, symbolic language there. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island, and the satyr shall cry to his fellow, and the screech owl also shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. So there's all these unclean birds are ha have their habitation here. There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow. There shall the vultures also be gathered, every one with her mate. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, another prophet, therefore shall her young men fall in the streets and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord. Good. Continue in, in Revelation. For all nations, all nations, not some nations, for all nations, have drunk. <clears throat> Where are we now? For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her immorality. So they've all gotten involved. She had such this global influence over all the all the kings and all the nations. And so they, they are all now subject to the wrath of God. And it's pictured as wine because of the wine press, that God is going to have this wine press that's going to crush mankind and, and the blood will be everywhere and that's he likens that to, to wine and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and notice it's not just the kings but the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies so she was able to engage in trade with them in such a way that they loved it because they were getting wealthier so she's getting wealthy they're getting wealthy and all of this is resulting in the oppression of god's people and I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. So again, the, these seven uh, judgments, uh, these bowls, seven bowls, they're upon her and upon the, the political and the religious system of Babylon. And God is saying, Come out of her, my people. And notice here in Isaiah saying the same thing. Depart you, depart you, leave. Go you out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go you out of the midst of her, and be you clean, that bear the vessels of the Lord. And I think this is really uh, appropriate for us as we are approaching Passover and the days of unleavened bread, that we come out of the Babylonian system and have nothing to do with her religious idolatry, nothing to do with compromising this way of life that we've been called to, nothing to do with her sexual immorality it's everywhere and and the marriage of a man and a wife is symbolic of the marriage of christ and the church and any sexuality outside of marriage is idolatry and the devil would love to just draw god's people into this pornea into this immorality and we just have to come out of this system have nothing to do with it or we will face the wrath of God. You know, people think that Jesus Christ is just, you know, lovey-dovey, lovey-dovey. Well, well, he's so loving that he's going to remove everything that compromises love. Everything that destroys love, he's going to destroy. So that in the new creation, there is only love. And that's what we mean by we serve a loving creator. And that's why the angels are just so in awe of his judgments because his judgments are right and they are true and they are sound. And so he says, the prophet says, be clean, you that bear the vessels of the Lord. Jeremiah says, remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he goats before the flocks. And so Christian men have nothing to do with Pornea. Christian women have nothing to do with Pornea. Christian women, think about how you dress. Do you reflect the bride of Christ? Or do we dress more like this world, this Babylonian system? And men, what are we attracted to? Are we attracted to the pure bride of Christ? Or are we more attracted to the harlot and the ways of the harlot? 
So there's a very clear call here to, to rid ourselves, to come out of this system, so that we are, you know, by, by implication, not all of God's people will be spared from the hour of judgment of God. In fact, that's very clear when you read the letter to the Church of Philadelphia. That God says, I will spare you from this hour that's going to come upon all the world. And by implication, well, not everybody. Certainly when you read the letter to the Laodiceans, he's warning them to repent or else they're going to face this judgment. And so, come out of her. Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he-goats before the flocks. Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. This, this is a time to get serious. The world is falling apart around us, and that's all of these uh, symbolic, all of the symbolic language is coming to pass. You know, the, the, the horseman of deception is riding, and the whole, we hear this term fake news. This is deception. And so we're, we're in a time of deception. The, these symbols are actually playing out in front of our eyes, and the prophets are now pleading with us as God's people to come out of this system. Because God says he'll come like a thief in the night. And we don't want to be caught off guard. We don't want him to come at an hour when we least expect him. We want to be into the scriptures and, and, and develop a love for the scriptures. That we just love God's word. And that way we can be plugged in. Because, you know, the thief really, he comes as a thief in the night to those who are not expecting him. But we should be expecting him. And, and we should have this great desire for the Lord. And we won't have that if we're compromising our walk with him. If we're compromising our walk with him, we'll be afraid of him. In fact, there's a scripture in Isaiah that says the hypocrites in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. We need to make sure we are coming out of her. Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity. So, you know, it's becoming clear how full of iniquity our society is and so let's not get drawn into this and certainly you know what was hardcore pornography years ago is like common entertainment today you, you even see children engaged in in, in pornea and, and and filthy talk and adults will giggle and laugh and it's just all so funny because iniquity is abounding and because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. We cannot be in this category. So flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Do not be cut off in her iniquity. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. This is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He's just waiting. He's just waiting. But eventually he's going to strike. And he's going to bring down the wicked. This is the time of the Lord's vengeance. And he will render unto her a recompense so she's going to get what's coming we don't want to have anything to do with what's coming upon her Jeremiah continues my people go you out of the midst of her get out of her and deliver you every man his soul from the fierce anger of the Lord and I think this is this is a problem that we have in the church because we don't study religiously the the book of Revelation we tend to want to more study the Gospels and so we get this image of Christ with his first coming, when he came on a mission to redeem Israel. And so he had a certain way of being. But he's accomplished that mission. And now he's on another mission. And that mission now is to bring down the wicked, to judge the wicked, and to free his people from all of this wickedness and idolatry. And he is angry. Jeremiah uh, describes him as having fierce anger. And I don't know if we think about Jesus Christ as having fierce anger. But I think if we did, especially as we go into the Passover, we'd be very motivated, not in an in a, uh, anxiety way, but in a very responsible way, like we are going to meet the Lord. He's coming. And he's full of fierce anger, and rightly so. And we want to be with him, in judging the wickedness of this world. And so we've got to come out of Babylon. And he says, uh, Deliver every man his soul from the fierce anger of the Lord, for her sins have reached unto heaven. That's how bad it is. 
and God has remembered her iniquities. So here in Revelation 18, 6 continues. Reward her even as she rewarded you and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she has filled, fill to her double. And you know, this is righteous language. And, and the more we clean ourselves up, the more we will speak like this. The more we will say amen to this. And, and this is, uh, you know, sometimes we try to be more, we, we want to be kinder than God. We want to be more righteous than God. And everybody gets a pass. And we just understand all, all kinds of wickedness. It's all forgivable. Well, no. Here the call is for, the angel is calling for God to give her double according to her works. And this is the judgment of Christ, that he judges righteous judgment according to her works. Listen to David. Psalm 137.8 O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed? Happy shall he be that rewards you as you have served us. So she has been destroying. She's drunk with the blood of the saints. And David is saying, okay, blessed is he that's going to reward you as you've done to us. Jeremiah says, shout against her round about. She has given her hand. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down. For it is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance upon her. As she has done, do unto her. And this is why the, the righteous angels say amen, because God's judgment is very precise. And he looks at what the wicked do, uh, what, what they do and their, their acts, and then he judges them very specifically according to their acts. And so here Jeremiah says, do unto her as she has done. Call together the archers against Babylon. All you that bend the bow, and we saw the ten kings are going to turn on her. All you that bend the bow, camp against it round about. Let none thereof escape recompense recompense her according to her work, according to all that she has done, do unto her. For she has been proud against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. So we're just coming up to the, the hour that we have. I think I'll pause here. We were partway through the judgment uh, uh, in Revelation 18, this judgment upon the woman. We're also going to see it on, on the, the commercial uh, empire as well and so we'll continue god willing next week so all of this uh, god is giving to us so that we can understand these things that shall shortly come to pass and it's when we see the full picture history history the present as well as the future and and in the distant eternal future that this is what makes us faithful this is what gives us patience so no matter how things how bad things get around us we are just waiting for the lord and we will have patience with him and for him why because he's faithful that promised jesus christ is lord 